Section 26 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. The Third Book, The World as Idea. Second Aspect. Para 50. If the aim of all art is the communication of the comprehended idea, which through the mind of the artist appears in such a form that it is purged and isolated from all that is foreign to it, and may now be grasped by the man of weaker comprehension and no productive faculty. If further, it is forbidden in art to start from the concept we shall not be able to consent to the international and avowed employment of a work of art for the expression of a concept. This is the case in the allegory. An allegory is a work of art which means something different from what it represents. But the object of perception, and consequently also the idea, expresses itself directly and completely, and does not require the medium of something else which implies or indicates it. Thus, that which in this way is indicated and represented by something entirely different, because it cannot itself be made object of perception, is always a concept. Therefore, through the allegory, a conception has always to be signified, and consequently the mind of the beholder has to be drawn away from the expressed perceptible idea to one which is entirely different, abstract and not perceptible and which lies quite outside the work of art. The picture or statue is intended to accomplish here what is accomplished far more fully by a book. Now what we hold is the end of art. Representation of a perceivable, comprehensible idea is not here the end. No great completeness in the work of art is demanded for what is aimed at here. It is only necessary that we should see what the thing is meant to be. For, as soon as this has been discovered, the end is reached, and the mind is now led away to quite a different kind of idea, to an abstract conception, which is the end that was in view. Allegories in plastic and pictorial art are, therefore, nothing but hieroglyphics. The artistic value, which they may have as perceptible representations, belongs to them not as allegories, but otherwise. That the knight of Correggio, the genius of fame of Hannibal Caracci, and the hours of Poussin are very beautiful pictures, is to be separated altogether from the fact that they are allegories. As allegories, they do not accomplish more than a legend, indeed rather less. We are here again reminded of the distinction drawn above between the real and the nominal significance of a picture. The nominal is here the allegorical, as such, for example, the genius of fame. The real is what is actually represented, in this case a beautiful winged youth, surrounded by beautiful boys. This expresses an idea. But this real significance affects us only so long as we forget the nominal allegorical significance. If we think of the latter, we forsake the perception and the mind is occupied with an abstract conception. But the transition from the idea to the conception is always a fall. Indeed, that nominal significance, that allegorical intention, 
often injures the real significance, the perceptible truth. For example, the unnatural light in the night of Correggio, which, though beautifully executed, has yet a merely allegorical motive and is really impossible. If, then, an allegorical picture has artistic value, it is quite separate from and independent of what it accomplishes as allegory. Such a work of art serves two ends at once, the expression of a conception and the expression of an idea. Only the latter can be an end of art, the other is a foreign end. The trifling amusement of making a picture also do service as a legend, as a hieroglyphic, invented for the pleasure of those to whom the true nature of art can never appeal. It is the same thing as when a work of art is also a useful implement of some kind, in which case it also serves two ends. For example, a statue which is at the same time a candelabrum or a caryatide or a bas-relief, which is also the shield of Achilles. True lovers of art will allow neither the one nor the other. It is true that an allegorical picture may, because of this quality, produce a vivid impression upon the feelings, but when this is the case, a legend would under the same circumstances produce the same effect. For example, if the desire of fame were firmly and lastingly rooted in the heart of a man because he regarded it as his rightful possession, which is only withheld from him so long as he has not produced the charter of his ownership, and if the genius of fame with his laurel crown were to appear to such a man, his whole mind would be excited, and his powers called into activity. But the same effect would be produced if he were suddenly to see the word fame in large distinct letters on the wall, or if a man has made known a truth which is of importance either as a maxim for practical life or as insight for science, but it has not been believed, an allegorical picture representing time as it lifts the veil and discloses the naked figure of truth will affect him powerfully. But the same effect would be produced by the legend Le Ton Découvre la Vérité. For what really produces the effect here is the abstract thought, not the object of perception. If then, in accordance with what has been said, allegory in plastic and pictorial art is a mistaken effort, serving an end which is entirely foreign to art, it becomes quite unbearable when it leads so far astray that the representation of forced and violently introduced subtleties degenerates into absurdity. Such, for example, is a tortoise to represent feminine seclusion, the downward glance of Nemesis into the drapery of her bosom, signifying that she can see into what is hidden. The explanation of Bellori that Hannibal Karachi represents voluptuousness clothed in a yellow robe because he wishes to indicate that her lovers soon fade and become yellow as straw. If there is absolutely no connection between the representation and the conception signified by it, founded on subsumption under the concept or association of ideas, but the signs and the things signified are combined in a purely conventional manner by positive, accidentally introduced laws, then I call this degenerate kind of allegory symbolism, Thus the rose is a symbol of secrecy, the laurel is a symbol of fame, the palm is a symbol of peace, the scallop shell is a symbol of pilgrimage, the cross is a symbol of Christian religion. To this class also belongs all significance of mere color, 
as yellow is the color of falseness and blue is the color of fidelity such symbols may often be of use in life but their value is foreign to art they are simply to be regarded as hieroglyphics or like chinese word writing and really belong to the same class as armorial bearings the bush that indicates a public house the key of the chamberlain or the leather of the mountaineer if finally certain historical or mythical persons or personified conceptions are represented by certain fixed symbols these are properly called emblems such are the beasts of the evangelist the owl of minerva the apple of paris the anchor of hope etc for the most part however we understand by emblems those simple allegorical representations explained by a motto which are meant to express a moral truth and of which large collections have been made by j camerarius alciatus and others they form the transition to poetical allegory of which we shall have more to say later greek sculpture devotes itself to the perception and therefore is aesthetical indian sculpture devotes itself to the conception and therefore it is merely symbolical this conclusion in regard to allegory which is founded on our consideration of the nature of art and quite consistent with it is directly opposed to the opinion of winkelmann who far from explaining allegory as we do as something quite foreign to the end of art and often interfering with it always speaks in favor of it and indeed places the highest aim of art in the representation of universal conceptions and non-sensuous things we leave it to every one to adhere to whichever view he pleases only the truth became very clear to me from these and similar views of winkelmann connected with his peculiar metaphysic of the beautiful that one may have the greatest susceptibility for artistic beauty and the soundest judgment in regard to it without being able to give an abstract and strictly philosophical justification of the nature of the beautiful just as one may be very noble and virtuous and may have a tender conscience which decides which perfect accuracy in particular cases without on that account being in a position to investigate and explain in the abstract the ethical significance of action allegory has an entirely different relation to poetry from that which it has to plastic and pictorial art and although it is to be rejected in the latter it is not only permissible but very serviceable to the former for in plastic and pictorial art it leads away from what is perceptibly given the proper object of all art to abstract thoughts but in poetry the relation is reversed for here what is directly given in words is the concept and the first aim is to lead from this to the object of perception the representation of which must be undertaken by the imagination of the hearer if in plastic and pictorial art we are led from what is immediately given to something else this must always be a conception because here only the abstract cannot be given directly but a conception must never be the source and its communication must never be the end of a work of art in poetry on the contrary the conception is the material the immediately given and therefore we may very well leave it in order to call up perceptions which are quite different and in which the end is reached many a conception or abstract thought may be quite indispensable to the connection of a poem which is yet in itself and directly 
quite incapable of being perceived and then it is often made perceptible by means of some example which is subsumed under it this takes place in every trope every metaphor simile parable and allegory all of which differ only in the length and completeness of their expression therefore in the arts which employ language as their medium similes and allegories are of striking effect how beautifully cervantes says of sleep in order to express the fact that it frees us from all spiritual and bodily suffering it is a mantle that covers all mankind how beautifully kleist expresses allegorically the thought that philosophers and men of science enlighten mankind in the line those whose midnight lamp lights the world how strongly and sensuously homer describes the beautiful ate when he says she has tender feet for she walks not on the hard earth but treads on the heads of men how forcibly we are struck by menenius agrippa's fable of the belly and the limbs addressed to the people of rome when they seceded how beautifully plato's figure of the cave at the beginning of the seventh book of the republic to which we have already referred expresses a very abstract philosophical dogma the fable of persephone is also to be regarded as a deeply significant allegory of philosophical tendency for she became subject to the netherworld by tasting a pomegranate this becomes peculiarly enlightening from goethe's treatment of the fable as an episode in the triumph der amphinsamkeit which is beyond all praise three detailed allegorical works are known to me one open and avowed in the incomparable criticon of balthazar gracian it consists of a great rich web of connected and highly ingenious allegories that serve here as the fair clothing of moral truths to which he thus imparts the most perceptible form and astonishes us by the richness of his invention the two others are concealed allegories don quixote and gulliver's travels the first is an allegory of the life of every man who will not like others be careful merely for his own welfare but follows some objective ideal end which has taken possession of his thoughts and will and certainly in this world he has then a strange appearance in the case of gulliver we have only to take everything physical as spiritual or intellectual in order to see what the satirical rogue as hamlet would call him meant by it since then in the poetical allegory the conception is always the given which it tries to make perceptible by means of a picture it may sometimes be expressed or assisted by a painted picture such a picture will not be regarded as a work of art but only as a significant symbol and it makes no claim to pictorial but only to poetical worth such is that beautiful allegorical vignette of lavater's which must be so heartening to every defender of the truth a hand holding a light is stung by a wasp while gnats are burning themselves in the flame above underneath is the motto and although it singes the wings of the gnats destroys their heads and all their little brains light is still light and although i am stung by the angriest wasp i will not let it go to this class also belongs the gravestone with the burnt-out smoking candle and the inscription when it is out it becomes clear whether the candle was tallow or wax finally of this kind in an old genealogical tree 
in which the last representative of a very ancient family thus expresses his determination to live his life to the end in abstinence and perfect chastity and therefore to let his race die out he represents himself at the root of the high branching tree cutting it over himself with shears in general all the symbols referred to above commonly called emblems which might also be defined as short painted fables with obvious morals belong to this class allegories of this kind are always to be regarded as belonging to poetry not to painting and as justified hereby moreover the pictorial execution is here always a matter of secondary importance and no more is demanded of it than that it shall represent the thing so that we can recognize it but in poetry as in plastic art the allegory passes into the symbol if there is merely an arbitrary connection between what is presented to perception and the abstract significance of it for as all symbolism rests at bottom on an agreement the symbol has this among other disadvantages that in time its meaning is forgotten and then it is dumb who would guess why the fish is a symbol of christianity if he did not know only a champollion for it is entirely a phonetic hieroglyphic therefore as a poetic allegory the revelation of john stands much in the same position as the reliefs with magnus deus sol mitra which are still constantly being explained end of section 26 read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama